Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we deliver the information you need to become the CEO of your author business. In this week's episode, we consider the process of finding the right editor for the right stage of your writing process. Our guest is Alita Winternheimer from WordEssential.com. She's an author herself, but her role in this episode focuses on her work as a developmental editor and a writing coach. Alita understands the work involved in turning an idea into a novel and the even greater commitment it takes to work with other professionals to improve your craft. She's a teacher and mentor of creative writing. She's also a brutally honest product consultant. She believes a well-crafted story is a piece of art, but also understands that if you want to sell enough copies to recoup your expenses or allow you to quit your day job, you need to acknowledge that you're in business. In this interview, we discuss the different types of editors that come into play during the various stages of your writing, the importance of the sample edit to finding the right editor for you and your work, and why it's critical that you're a good fit with your editor, or maybe to put it another way, that your personalities mesh or work well together. I'm recording this intro on Sunday morning, and today is a few days after our little grandson Wyatt's first birthday, and there is a gala first birthday party for him. June is also the birthday month for me, um, as well as our kids. They were, we have twin boys, and they were both born in June as well. So we have a lot of gala birthday activity in this month. So I'm going to keep this intro short and get right to this week's episode, which begins with me asking Alita, at what stage in an author's career should that author begin looking for an editor? When you're ready to make that transition from writing for yourself and only sharing with family and friends or critique groups to actually publishing something, that's when you really need to start looking for an editor. You know, but there are different types of editors. So then you have to say, what, where am I at in my craft and what kind of editing do I think I need? What, how does genre play a role in selecting an editor? Like if, if I'm a mystery <laughs> writer, should I look specifically for someone who edits mm-hmm. mysteries or, or should I just look for a person that I relate to well as an editor? Right. Yeah. Genre does not play much of a role in choosing an editor. I would put that very low on my list of things I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I want to find in an editor is somebody who is an expert in story craft, because no matter what genre you're writing in, the shape of a novel is going to be the same. A plot arc is a plot arc. A character arc is a character arc. No matter what your genre is, everything is going to have a main plot and subplots. So requirement number one is expertise in story craft. Number two is that relationship. You've got to meet this person, get a sample, edit, talk over Skype or the phone or whatever, and find out if the personalities are going to work. Um, You need your editor to be honest with you because your goal is to grow as a writer, not to have your ego stroked, hopefully, (laughs) right? (laughs) So then you're going to look at the feedback you got. Is it constructive? How helpful? What can you do with it? Is this person 
going to help you learn to be a better writer and grow? Or is it more just like a line edit? What are you looking for? You know, and all else equal, then you might look at genre. So if you've got two really fantastic editors, but only one of them really knows your genre, you might want that, but that can also work against you. Okay, well, let's let's dig into some of these a, a little bit. Um, honesty. I mean, that's that's obviously something that's really important. I've almost mm-hmm. all of the negative feedback that I've ever received, and I'm I'm pretty good with taking ne- negative feedback because I've had a lot of it over the course of my life. <laughs> so um, it, it's always this is really good, but it, it, in terms of finding that right relationship and honesty. Is that something mm-hmm. we need to recognize about ourselves? Uh, you know, what kind of criticism we're capable of taking? Because I know some editors really soft pedal what probably should be the kind of thing where you're saying, what the heck are you doing here? But instead, it's it's kind of cloaked in that, well, you know, this could be massaged mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, is, is that really important in building that relationship? Not for me, no. I do not sugarcoat things. I do believe that every work you can find some thing to praise mm-hmm. in that work. And I do want to encourage writers and help them to grow. So I will never be mean for the sake of meanness. I'm never going to tell a writer you should give up your dream and, you know, keep stick with your day job because that's if someone has the fortitude to write an entire book-length manuscript, that shows me this person has dedication and drive. And I honor that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, plus somebody coming to me, you're seeking professional help, that shows me you're willing to learn and grow and you're willing to pay for it. So I've already got a ton of respect for everybody who comes to my door. So with kindness and respect... I'm going to tell you honestly what the strengths and weaknesses are of this manuscript. And it might sting a little bit having these weaknesses pointed out because, hey, we're human. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I don't just say this is a weakness, this is wrong or bad. Good luck. I say, okay, here are some examples of how we can fix it. Let's talk. Ask me questions. Use me as a sounding board. So... You know, my feedback loop with clients is extensive. It goes beyond the written notes, really into the realm of teaching. Okay, and let's talk about um, what people can expect from different types of editors. I've used, I think, three, maybe four different editors over the course of the last several years. And for Mm -hmm. the most part, what I have received back are notes, occasionally suggestions, for me, the the most beneficial thing, as someone who's not the most experienced writer in the world, is the really clear notes that say, this is what's wrong, and this is what you can do to fix it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in some instances, I see that. In other instances, I see something that's, you know, it might be just, this is what's wrong, or it might be just, they cross it out and put in the right thing, but don't explain why. Mm-hmm. So can you explain sort of, I, I guess how you do it and and why it might be different uh, between different editors, why why there doesn't seem to be like a standard way of working with clients. 
As far as why there isn't a standard way, I think at least on the indie side of things, you've got a lot of people from a lot of backgrounds hanging up shingles and declaring themselves editors. <laughs> so why, well, I can't speak for other editors, but um, you know, there are developmental editors and there are copy or line editors, and I'm a developmental editor slash writing coach because my focus is really on teaching someone's story craft by working with them closely on their manuscript. And that work doesn't mean I make changes. It means I go through every single sentence, pointing out the strengths and weaknesses. I write notes at the end of almost every single chapter saying, here's what I'm seeing with the structure of the story at this point. Here's how, you know, chapter 12 relates to chapter three. These are issues you're going to want to look at and address. Um, I do occasionally rewrite a paragraph or a few sentences just to say, this is an example of what I'm talking about and how you might make this change. Because as a teacher or as a student, I think it's frustrating to be left hanging with, well, you just showed me the problem, but not the solution, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So when I work with clients, it's very much solution driven. And then you give me the manuscript, I work on it, I send you my notes, which are extensive, I send you a letter of global concerns, and then you have time to read them, and then we get on Skype for a couple of hours. So during that time, I let the client run the call because you've already got my written feedback, I don't need to tell you what I see in your manuscript. So that's all about answering your questions, being a sounding board, talking about new directions for the manuscript. That's how I do it, how other people do it. I can't really account for them. But as someone looking for an editor, do your homework, do due do, do diligence and get sample edits, get on Skype with people, meet them and really find out what you can expect out of that process and that relationship. Let's talk terms, I, I guess. Um, you mentioned that you're a developmental editor. I've, I've heard the term content editor, copy editor, line editor, proofreader. It, and I, I think a developmental editor is probably pretty similar to a content editor. Mm -hmm. I think uh, a copy editor might be kind of similar to a line editor, or maybe a line editor is similar mm -hmm. to a proofreader. It's it just so confusing to me. And, <laughs> and, and people, I mean, there are a lot of people out there, especially new people who haven't gone out, and they're new authors who, who haven't gone out and started the process of trying to find an editor yet, um, who maybe think that an editor is just someone who fixes the text, fixes the comma, mm -hmm. uh, things mm -hmm. like that. So let's, I mean, you've sort of talked a little bit about what you do as a developmental editor, but let's sort of talk about all of the different types of editing and where they come into play over the course of uh, putting together a, a, a something that will be published. Right, sure. So I break it down into three different categories. There's the developmental editor, or you said content editor. So I would consider that the same type of editor. And that is someone who, when you work with that editor, expect to do a major revision because that person is really looking at story craft, at the structure of the whole and 
you know, holes in the plot, weaknesses in character development, setting that is lacking, implausible twists or props or, you know, uh, flaws in logic, all of those things that are going to happen, you know, can be can be problems in stories. That's in the developmental editor realm. When you've got a book that you consider finished but not ready to publish, that's when you can go to a copy editor or a line editor. That's your second category. So this is for punctuation, grammar, syntax, um, consistency. You know, did you change a character's name halfway through the book or something? (laughs) So this is really a polishing phase. There are copy editors who will give you a lot more feedback than that. They might be straddling the divide between developmental and copy, Mm -hmm. but technically a copy editor, that's your punctuation, grammar, et cetera, typos, um, following the rules of the style manual for your publication. And then the proofreader, the term actually comes from when you've got the physical book in your hand. So when you get a printed book back from the printer and you've got the proof, the proofreader goes through it and checks not only that final pass for um, mistakes like typos, but also the physical alignment of the text on the page. Did all of the graphics turn out right? Are all of the page numbers in the right place? Mm -hmm. Did anything go off the bleed? Mm -hmm. So that's where the term proofreader comes from. So developmental editing is while you're writing, copy editing is when you're preparing to publish, and proofing is that final check before you put it into readers' hands. And these are all very different skills, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Yes, I can copy edit, but boy, I do not like it. That is not my cup of tea. I, you know, I see so many people who, who think that one editor, and depending on where you're at in your career, one editor might be might be fine for everything mm-hmm. that you're doing. But at, mm-hmm. for someone yeah. in the beginning stage where you really would need a developmental edit and there's, there's just no way that someone has, who has been working on the story with you for a long period of time mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. going to catch the little typos because they, I'm sure that people like you become story blind the same way that we do. And, and we read the words that we believe we put on the page rather than the words that are actually on the page. Right. Absolutely. And when I'm doing a developmental edit, I will point out somebody um, when they have a rule incorrect, you know. So if somebody is consistently using a hyphen instead of an M dash, mm-hmm. I'll tell them so they can learn the rule, which will save them and their copy editor time and money later. You know, and a lot of times I'll find myself putting in commas and stuff just because it's a compulsion. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, that really isn't my concern because when you get the manuscript back from me, you're going to do a rewrite and mm-hmm. all of that text is going to be shifted around anyway. You know, so when you give it to a copy editor, you aren't looking to change your words at that point. It should just be really the fine tuning with things like punctuation. Do you have, with your clients, do you have specific copy editors that you like to work with? If, if someone comes to you that just says, hey, this is my first book, I don't know what to do, I'm putting myself in your hands, guide me through the process. Um, I have made some referrals, but no, generally, you know, people 
get referrals from each other and from the different um, websites, different podcasts and such for for copy editors. There are professional organizations, which I think are a really great place to start. Um, the Professional Editors Network is one that I've belonged to, which is here in Minnesota. But of course, the website, you can find editors through it you know, from any mm -hmm. point in the world. And that, to me, it's just another indicator of um, the editor's holding himself to a professional standard and is networking with uh, with colleagues in a community and is growing resources and self-training and things like that. So looking for those types of organization can be a great way to start to find that resource list of names. One of the things that's very popular in the indie community is the use of beta readers, and I'm sure it's it's popular in the traditional uh, in the traditional publishing arena as well. But I, I think in a lot of cases, indies can believe that beta readers can serve the purpose of some of these editors along the way. Um, at w at what point mm -hmm. do you recommend your clients bring in readers? I would bring the beta readers in right before. The copy edit and not before that. Beta readers are kind of like market research groups. So you might make a change based on beta reader feedback, mm -hmm. but don't count on it. You know, I do know a lot of writers have beta readers who will point out typos to them and that's great, but mm -hmm. that doesn't take the place of a professional copy editor. What you do not want to do is use beta readers as a um, critique group because beta readers are not writers and they are not professional editors and it ends up being a quantity over quality issue where you can get too many cooks in the kitchen throwing in different opinions and then you're trying to make everybody happy and all mm -hmm. of a sudden your story is you know falling apart it's going in 10 directions because you've got conflicting advice from people who who don't know your vision or your intention for that story. Okay, you mentioned critique groups. Uh, at mm -hmm. what point, well, how important are critique groups? At what types of authors can benefit from critique, critique groups? And at what point do they come into play in the process? Peer groups or critique groups come into play in your drafting stages. So in, say, draft two to four, that's where you're going to be getting feedback from critique groups. And there is a stage in the learning process of a writer's evolution where that kind of feedback and the camaraderie is incredibly useful. There's also a stage at which the process is too slow and maybe you've outgrown your group, maybe you haven't. But I like to warn writers to be um, cautious with choosing your critique group. So if you've got peers who don't understand your genre and its conventions, they might try to give you feedback that takes you away from what you need to do with your story. And it might be a frustrating experience instead of a helpful one. The, yeah, that could certainly be another situation where there are too many cooks in the kitchen, I think was the phrase that you used yes. earlier. <laughs> yeah, too many ingredients getting thrown in. And you know, also critique groups tend to work slowly. So you get a chapter a week or a chapter mm -hmm. a month or whatever. So that can be a problem, especially 
in the indie world. So choose wisely and know when to pull back from that and say, I've outgrown that phase of my of my writer's education. Um, I was just emailing a client about this the other day. So I made a little list. I would write two to four drafts of your book, then share it with your peer group, or your critique group for feedback, write a new draft. Then when you're ready for fresh professional eyes to give you not just constructive criticism, but also training and help you really elevate your manuscript to the next level, work with the developmental editor. You're going to do another revision after that and really polish it. Then if you're using beta readers, again, this is like market research, not I'm giving it to people because I want their opinions to help me change it. Mm -hmm. That's when you would go to beta readers. Now, you might have minor revisions based on beta reader feedback. If people are confused about some point, if there's an issue of clarity, some, you know, twist that whatever, those sorts of things readers could, beta readers could help you find. So there might be some revision there. Then a copy edit, that's the typos, grammar, punctuation. Design your manuscript, do the layout for the actual book, then proofread it. Then you can go to ARC readers, the advanced reader copies, and that's just for reviews, mm -hmm. not for any kind of changes, and hit publish. Okay, that seems, like <laughs> seems like a useful way to go. In the indie world, there is this continual push for speed, which mm -hmm. is in, a, in many cases in conflict with the push for quality. Right. And so there are people out there, I know there are people that are in the AuthorBiz Facebook group who have been just grinding away on their novel or series of novels for quite some time, and it's important for them that it be perfect before it go out. And there are other people out there that just want to tell a good story. And when the story is right, they're ready for it to go out. In your mind, are each of these methods valid or is one superior to the other? Well, I think what you've presented us with are kind of the two extremes of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. I think that um, quantity over quality is not sustainable. I think that those books will not rise to, you know, have long lifespans in the marketplace because they're books that readers will read quickly and forget. They're kind of a disposable fiction or a fast food type of eating mm -hmm. where you, you get your thrill and you forget it. And if you want something that is going to stick around, be recommended, have iconic characters you know, loyal fans, mm -hmm. then you really have to go for quality. Now, you don't want to be obsessed with quality to the point where you can't get your book out there, you know? <laughs> that that can so, be a real problem. <laughs> the, mm -hmm. You know, the, the whole fear of publishing or, yeah, I mean, it, it can happen whether you're writing a blog post or whether you're writing a book or whether you're starting a business. It's so much fun to be in the process of creating something, but then when you actually take that step to get it out there and, and show it to people, that's a different thing. Mm -hmm. And for some people, that step can be sending it to someone like you, a developmental editor, because then all of a right. sudden someone is reading this gem that you've been polishing for the last three years. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's a balance to be struck in anything. And so it's 
it's nice to see authors grow and develop their craft over time, and that comes from experience. So it's certainly fine to publish books that are not ideal for, you know, where you hope to be. But, um, and I think you can write quality quickly when mm-hmm. you have put in your 10,000 hours, so to speak, when you have developed your skills as a writer, everything will will come more quickly for you. And I, I think there, there are just some people who just kind of have a knack for this, who, who can mm-hmm. just pick it up. I mean, it's just like the, those people who can just sit down at the piano and start playing and they haven't had the 10,000 hours. They, they're just really, <laughs> really good at it. I'm the person who needs the 10,000 hours, but there are, there are those people who don't, and I'm, I'm envious of them, but I know they're out there because I, I read mm-hmm. some of their stuff. Um, let's, let's talk about, about the different kinds of feedback that we need as authors at different stages of our career. You talked a little bit about the uh, the critique groups and how you might want to wean yourself off of that at a certain point. Is there a point, uh, let's say you've been writing and publishing books uh, for a decade. It, mm-hmm. the, is, there a, is there a time during that process where you might change things a little bit, you might change the relationships with the editors that you have um, as a mm-hmm. way of simplifying your own process because you have these skills and, and you've, I won't say moved beyond, but you're sharpening other things now. Right, certainly. I think it's natural in any kind of evolution to um, you know, move away to graduate, shall we say. Mm-hmm. So uh, you may, I think everybody will always need a feedback loop. We always need fresh eyes on our work. We're always going to get stuck at some point in our writing process and need a sounding board. But will you always need a developmental editor? Maybe not. You know, it depends on what you're looking for and what your process is. I've heard of a writer who does a very fast first draft and then sends it to a developmental editor to um, basically fix it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So instead of spending months agonizing over four or five drafts, this person does one draft and then has a relationship where that editor does the fixing and sends it back to the writer to, you know, polish. So it can go any direction you need it to go, so long as you aren't diluted. If you know your quality, if you know your skills, if you know your your speed and your publication process, I think you can shape it to be what you need it to be and find other people willing to work with you. I spoke to an author one time who's probably published 50 or 60 books, most of them traditionally. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that she said that just surprised the heck out of me was that she had, she had multiple series and she had a different editor. And in her case, in her mind, I know that editor meant developmental editor Mm -hmm. um, for each series, because the development, the the developmental editor may remember actually more about what's going on in in that particular series than she does, because she's working across all these different things and it's easy to get confused. And so mm-hmm. she has, and she's had the same editors for, uh, since she's had the series, it, it would be mm-hmm. a real problem for her to have to change editors. Is, is that, 
is that a good strategy if you're if you're someone who writes multiple ser- series to to consider different editors? Sure. It you know, it makes sense because our brains are storing so much information and if the writer herself can get some of those storylines crossed, it would be very easy to imagine editors doing that as well. And I know like I work on one manuscript at a time. I don't try to juggle mm-hmm. client work within the same time frame because I'm immersed in that story, whatever it is, that genre, those characters, that world. And, you know, to really devote myself to that manuscript means I I take them one at a time. So I can see where it would be really useful to have an editor per series. Now, I do have clients who send me more than one series, more than one type of book, but not simultaneously. So if that writer is doing, <laughs> you know, multiple books every couple of months, she's she probably needs multiple editors just to keep up with that pace. Yes, I, I expect you're right. And now you have you have referred to yourself as a developmental editor and a coach. Is is the typical does the typical developmental editor do the kind of coaching that you do? Well, I don't know. I haven't taken a survey of other developmental editors. I would actually be interested to hear from writers who've worked with other developmental editors what kind of uh, you know what kind of feedback they get from those people. My guess would be no. My guess would be you know there's a spectrum of how much assistance and how much coaching you're going to get. Um, and I'm on the heavy coaching end mm-hmm. because at heart I'm really a teacher and I want to see the writers grow and feel like they've benefited. Not, you know, here's a page with some notes, but here's an education. And, and I think that's a really good point. The whole idea of, of professional editing for me, a big part of it is education. It's, mm-hmm. you know, ev- every time I get something edited, I, I know I get better, but I'm learning something from, from each of right. these people who, who has helped me. And if I'm not learning something, then I probably need to go and find someone else who is going to be able to teach me and help me grow and make me better. Um, let's talk for a minute about specifically how you work with clients. Do you have like a specific one way only that you work with clients or do you work with them in multiple ways? Uh, the umbrella answer is... Sure, I have one way I work with clients, but within that, it can take whatever shape suits the client. The starting point for everybody is um, I have them send me a 10-page sample from the middle of the book because I want to see representative Mm. writing, not the most polished in the first 10 pages. I've never heard that before. That's that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah, so... Uh, I do the sample edit, and then we get on Skype for an hour. So 10 pages of editing and an hour-long session are free, just so you can see what I'm going to give you in this process, what my feedback is like, and we can meet and, you know, check out each other's personality and such. And also, in those 10 pages, I really get a good sense of where the writer is at with craft. You can tell a lot about character development, dialogue, plot, setting, uh, you know, narrative description, etc. in a 10-page sample. So at the end of that call, if the writer wants to move forward, I put together a proposal and I've got a number of editing packages 
on my website uh, at a variety of price points. I do something called storyboard consultations, which mm-hmm. is I give the writer instructions. So, and I help you go through this process, but you basically create your entire plot arc in a document, say 10 to 20 pages, single spaced. And I do feedback on that. So that's really popular in the packages because then you've got coaching on the plot arc and the character arcs and all of the beats of the story. Then these writers go and have time to do a revision. Then they send me that revised draft. So you get coaching on everything and one full read through. So that's probably the most popular package. And how, how does that work specifically? Say I'm your client and I come to you and I decide mm-hmm. this is what I want. This is the package that I want. What do you, what do you send me away to do? Well, <laughs> so I send you away to do the storyboarding process, which I will give you instructions to do that. And then I'm always available to my clients. So once that contract is signed, the door is wide open, email me with questions, let me know when we need to hop on Skype and talk through something. Um, When I get the storyboard, so I read it closely and I make notes on anything where, you know, say tension isn't rising appropriately or Uh, The main plot is here, but there are no subplots, so your supporting characters are underdeveloped, and your protagonist um, has a bunch of dull traveling chapters in the middle, the soggy (laughs) middle problem. Uh (laughs) You know, these these things become apparent in these storyboards. Is the climax appropriate? Is the tension high enough? Does everything resolve properly? Um, Do you have too many point-of-view characters? Those are things I can tell in a storyboard, and... So there, there are notes for each chapter on that storyboard. And then I always do global considerations because I sit with what I've just read and sort of synthesize all of my thoughts and then put it into feedback for you as well. So then once you've gone through my feedback, we get on Skype for an hour. And this is that you pick my brain, use me as a sounding board, ask me questions. We talk about the craft. We talk about ideas to change it. There's a ton of brainstorming that happens in calls with clients because I know not only this document I've read, but also the person in front of me and we're exchanging ideas. And so, you know, as writers, we sort of hit blocks. It's like we have a failure of imagination because we've already envisioned a, B, C, D, and what you need is somebody with fresh eyes to come in and go, hey, what about H, I, J? Let's put these in the middle mm-hmm. and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So writers usually leave these calls with a lot of new directions for their story, and they're really exciting. The calls are my favorite part of of what I do, you know, because you get that. Okay, that if if people are interested in that kind of thing, I don't like to ask people what they charge, but if you want to tell mm-hmm. me, I'll, I'll be happy to give you that opportunity, or we can just send them to your website to to learn more. Sure. Yeah. You know, I would love to give your listeners a special offer. Actually, um, so the the storyboard process, what I just described, is on my website, and so are all of my other editing packages. But as kind of a nice introductory package we can do a storyboard consult with the hour of coaching 
and then a 10,000 word developmental edit followed by an hour of coaching for $500, which is a savings of 250. Well, that sounds great. So how how do people yeah. take advantage of that if they want if they want to take advantage of that? Do they just tell you, "Hey, I heard this on the Author Biz" or That would work. Yeah, that would work. But you can go to wordessential.com/ slash author biz. I'll just set up a page for it. Oh, you're you're so efficient. We'll make it easy. (laughs) All right. And I will link to that as well. Alita, you mentioned your website, which is wordessential.com. So I will link to that in the show notes. I will link to the special offer in the show notes. And I can't thank you enough for being on the show. I, you know, the whole editing process and all the different types of editors and, and the way to, the way we find editors is just confusing to me. And and so I appreciate you coming on and providing some clarity on the subject. Well, thank you for having me. It was fun. (laughs) And thank you for listening. As I mentioned, we'll have show notes with links to everything we mentioned at theauthorbiz.com. We'll be back again next Monday.